In this episode, we discuss the application of digital twins in industrial process optimization. My guest on this episode is Eric Utstuen. Eric is the CEO and co-founder of TwinThread, the world's first digital twin platform combining industrial data with industrial AI in an integrated development environment for engineers and data scientists alike. Eric started his career as a process engineer in the pulp and paper industry and went on to found multiple successful companies in the industrial software space focused on historians, manufacturing execution systems, and industrial analytics. Now here's my interview with Eric. Eric, thank you for taking the time to join us on the show today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So uh, today I would like to talk to you about uh, digital twins for continuous improvement in uh, in manufacturing. So maybe to to begin, can you um, uh, describe for us uh, what the challenges are in modern manufacturing that are driving the need for digital twins? Yeah, I think the uh, the challenges are really the same that they've been for a long time. Only the uh, the importance of solving problems is is much much greater in in today's sort of volatile and um, constrained you know manufacturing supply chains. Um, so the challenges are you know keeping quality uh, uh, and and reliability, uptime, uh, throughput, flexibility, you know, all the same challenges that manufacturers have been been um, working on for decades, but really the it, it is acute to really have modern solutions in place today to 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 solve those problems in in, in new ways. Okay, interesting. So now what would you say are the uh key functions of digital twins in manufacturing that uh, help address those problems? Yeah, we see sort of three, um, see three key areas of which digital twins cut across all three of these, uh, really starting with the in industrial data ops, which is, this is really about uh, collecting the OT data, contextualizing that data, enriching that data, and preparing it for all different types of analysis. So that's sort of the first key function that, you know, digital twins cut across and, and enhance that. The second one is the industrial AI ops. The reason why we want to curate all that data is because we want to apply AI on top of that and to to do that optimization that we talked about to address those challenges um, is is really what is the second piece and digital twins sort of cut across that as well. And then the third is around uh, enterprise integration. So uh, being able to take data from the, the the plant floor, not only contextualize it, enrich it and apply AI against it, but to really integrate it in with the workflows of the enterprise. Um, workflows like uh, planning, uh, production planning, workflows like uh, 
uh, R&D and, you know, quality development and these things that are happening at the, the enterprise level need to be integrated in with the um, these plant floor operations, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, digital twins cut across all all three of those big areas, and and at the very base level, they 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 provide the context around which all of that optimization across all three of those layers, if you will, are being done. And um, yeah, the, the the simple concept of having a digital representation of your physical equipment and, and processes in your in your plant is 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 common needs to be common across all three of those activities interesting so i'll like to kind of like linger on that a bit so you mentioned uh, an interesting term uh, industrial ai ops uh, could yeah. you kind of like unpack that for us what 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 exactly that is yeah sure so um, just like any of these sort of IT technologies, let's say there is a, a generic flavor of of uh, AI. You know, you can you can get open source an algorithm to do a uh, to build a random forest or to build a neural network or uh, you know technologies like that. Um, but they aren't out of the box as as an industrial algorithm, if you will. They they need to be surrounded with industry specific they need to be surrounded with digital twins for example to have the industrial context and to be able to be applied to an industrial use case and you know one of the if you want to really oversimplify it one of the unique challenges of an industrial use case as it relates to ai compared to a a sales or a marketing use case is that time series data and the volume of time series data makes it a unique case, you know, that that differentiates an industrial AI use case from a from a just a generic AI use case. I don't know if that answers the question, but um, that that's that's a pretty critical distinction. Yeah, absolutely. I think it puts uh, everything in perspective, right? Yeah. So I mean, as as you mentioned, like the digital twins cuts across like. Um, a wide range of um, functions, right? So, uh, of which uh, industrial IT is a big part of. So, yeah. what 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 do you see as being the role of industrial IT in in enabling digital twins? Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's very important. Obviously, um, you know, it's it's a an important pillar on which the digital twin sits and so um if if we want to sort of look at this broadly you know when we, we want when we want to build a a very complete digital twin uh we want to have the sensor data and that sensor data can come from let's say legacy automation systems maybe maybe the protocol is is uh is OPC or something like that. Maybe it's MQTT. Then we have new uh, sensors that are sort of being added to the plants outside of the scope of traditional automation. So, so the smart sensors, the things that aren't wired in through a PLC or through a DCS system, those are becoming more and more important 
you know, pillar that, and there again, you know, now we see more MQTT in that area and, and, and other sort of message-based uh, protocols that are, that are supported for smart devices uh, in that area. And then the, the third area is more of a higher level uh, system, not directly to sensors, but rather working with the on-premise data systems like manufacturing execution systems, quality systems, you know, there where, where the data isn't necessarily coming from a sensor, it's coming from a, a higher level system, but nevertheless are a, a really important component of building out a complete digital twin is to have the context from really all three of those, those areas. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, traditionally, um, uh, the case is that data collection in industrial facilities is primarily like really focused on uh, the, the, the the process data, right? And now you've mm -hmm. got, um, as you mentioned, um, sensors that are retrofitted to um, um, equipment to get all of this other data, which is more like kind of like asset data. So yeah. uh, how, how do you uh, place... Um, uh, strategically the importance of data because I know you kind of like take an approach of of creating a process twin and also like a, 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 a an asset twin as it were what is yeah. the, the 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 approach there uh, as far as those two types of data are concerned it's it's very use case driven um so if we're working with a customer that has a a um an issue or, a, or an opportunity around uh, quality, as an example, we're going to really look for what are all the available inputs in to solve that problem and to make sure that those are represented in the digital twin. And so that's gonna be a combination of, of uh, sensor data. Um, that's gonna be a combination of quality system data um, and you know potentially other other sources. Sometimes the the quality data comes in through a smart sensor, uh, such as like a near infrared device that's outside of the traditional controls or outside of the outside of the quality system. So it's 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 use case driven in that way. If if we choose like an asset use case, um, where maybe we're interested in in uh, current from a motor, but we're also interested in the vibration and the uh, and the temperature. And there again, it's the use case is going to dictate really the the data collection strategy. And and uh, as I think you probably know, certain sensors like vibration sensors, for example, are much more likely to come in through a, a smart device or a, or an IoT sort of platform at instead of coming through the traditional automation systems. So um, yeah, I guess the, the use case really dictates where that data is coming from, what, what, the, what the strategy is, and you know, what's the scope of different systems you might need to connect to to get a complete digital twin. Awesome. So, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned also the fact that we have got um, uh, you also rely on the connectivity in interface that is exposed by legacy uh, uh, equipment. So, mm -hmm. and also as you move that data up to where it really needs to end up, it's, it's a it's a communication channel. Um, what what 
communication protocols or standards would you say uh, maybe do you see the most out there or maybe are, are well suited for a digital twin implementation? Yeah, I mean, we still see the uh, when it comes to sort of like standard protocols, we 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 still see the the majority OPC out there, and and MQTT is emerging. Um, you know, we're seeing companies uh, standardize on you know MQTT as a strategy and kind of building out their their uh, uh, industrial data pipeline, let's say. Um, but the vast majority is is OPC out there. Um, from our perspective, maybe a little bit unique, and not exactly what you're asking, but uh, for our for what we do, historians are <clears throat> just as important, maybe if not more important, sort of protocol or interface point um, for us as a as a real time data source is and. And the reason is, is when we go to train AI models, you know, we we need three, six, 12 months of history. So the best use case for us is that when that data has already been collected, it's already been historized, and we can come in and start adding value on top of that history. And so those are more API-based as opposed to uh, standards-based interfaces. Uh, so if we're talking about uh, uh, talking with uh, an Aviva Pi system or Wonderware historian or a GE historian or an Aspen Tech, Tech IP21 historian, each one has a different API-based um, uh, protocol to, to be able to, to integrate that data. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I would I would imagine each of those systems also would have like a different way of um modeling the data, right? And and uh which is really I would imagine also an important aspect of how you then kind of like build a digital twin, that data modeling aspect of yes. it. So what are the uh, best practices as far as modeling assets and processes for digital twins? Can you share around that? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and, and and it does tie in with the kind of the previous uh, point in the sense that uh, different systems that you find out in the out on the plant floor, whether it be a historian or a manufacturing execution system, or sometimes even a quality system, um, historically they each had their own sort of small. Um, uh, part of the digital twin definition. Um, yeah. So if we consider a historian case looked like with the uh, Pi system and the asset framework uh, functionality that's part of the Pi system, it's defining which tags belong with which assets as an example. And so, so that's one element of, of the the definition of a digital twin you might you might equate that or or translate that to mqtt and spark plug you know some organization or or opc uh, ua as an organization of the which tags belong with which assets um and so our aim is to when we're connecting with multiple systems is to really coalesce different 
you know, definitions of the digital twin into a common one. And uh, I don't know if you'd call this a best practice. It's, it's, it's more of a reality is, is that many customers, um, well, let's just say they, they didn't name their tags consistently. Maybe they didn't even apply asset framework consistently. And, and oftentimes when implementing digital twins, it's the first time to clean up all of the poorly defined organization of data uh, and, and to approach it in a, in a more thoughtful way. Because oftentimes when we're implementing digital twins, it's, it is in an enterprise context, not just a single process or even a single plant. And so it really is the first opportunity to, to establish basic things like standard naming conventions. And as long as you can map to the, the data that's maybe poorly named or, or named in a non-standard way, uh, it, it all sort of uh, comes out in the wash as it relates to, uh, to the digital twins. And so again, it's very basic um, advice, you know, in terms of modeling standards is just uh, organization and naming conventions. And the uh, the other part of advice, again, that which is very, very basic around modeling digital twins is uh, we really, really try to drive the definition of digital twins to map to the physical reality. Uh, I mean, we do, we want to create a virtual, virtual digital twin, but we want it to tie to something that's, that is, that is a, a physical asset or physical process and, you know, has that connection. There is some, when people are implementing digital twins, maybe taking virtual too far and, and creating a definition of a digital twin that doesn't map to anything in the physical, in the physical world. <laughs> and there are, there are sort of many issues that can come from that. So, um, so beyond naming, the other piece of advice is, is try to stick to creating digital twins that, that map to physical assets and physical processes. Okay. So does that mean, um, I don't know if it's the right way to think about it, but does that mean less abstraction, more less and less abstraction? Or how what what what's the healthy level of abstraction there? Yeah, I mean, um we're still abstracting, right? From the the physical, I mean, in a in a way, even going back to the first sort of piece of advice around tag naming, you know, one one level of abstraction uh, is I, I don't need to uh, go in and rename all the tags that are in the in the source data system. I just need a way to link to those tags. And when I create that tag in the digital twin, I can create it with a standard, you know, with a more standardized, more generic naming. So, so that that is one level of of, of abstraction. Um, um, around my second point about you know making sure you're mapping to reality, it's I'll give a specific example here. Um, you know it's very common in uh, 
in a consumer products manufacturing line where you're in a, in a packaging operation, for example, where you have a production line, which is, is uh, you know, maybe it's, there's a filling operation and then uh, there's a conveyor that splits into two, two pathways and you're making one product on one side of that pathway and you're making a different product. Maybe it's a different package size or something. Um, there is a, there is a, a tendency to try to model that virtually by creating a third pathway, if you will, that is that is a combination of those two. And, and we would say, don't do that because now you have a digital twin that is a, this third thing that doesn't map to anything that's in the physical space. And, you know, while it might be convenient for some calculations or might be convenient for some specific reason, you know, breaking that rule of having a digital twin that doesn't actually exist in reality. Um, you know, there's more downside than upside of, of that just because it, you know, it can, it can confuse and, um, and, you know, not map to reality. Interesting. So now as you kind of like, um, coalesce all this um, um, data from different uh, source systems into that one common model. Um, how much of an influence does um, international uh, standards of data modeling play into that? Do you kind of like take the approach of building something that is more uh, customized to an organization or you like kind of like like to follow the, the the route of using an international standard or digital twins. Yeah, so I'll speak. I would say standards are important to be um, to 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 be able to work within the standards, but not be constrained within the standards. And you know, the the two standards that I would would highlight are the uh, ISA eighty eight and ISA ninety five standards you know they've been around for a very long time there's nothing new in there that relates to iot or or ai for that matter any kind of higher level modeling but the fact that those standards have been adopted at some level are is very useful um and uh but but we don't want to be constrained by those standards because those standards didn't contemplate digital twins, really, those standards didn't contemplate AI and how that may may impact these processes. Um, and so to sort of provide an example around the ISA 88 standard, which which I would I see as being uh, a standard that took took um, took hold probably more than 20 years ago but has not evolved really at all in that, in that time period. Um, but so what we do with, for example, an ISA 88 batch system standard is we use it to automatically configure the digital twins. And then, and what's more than that, given that that standard is in place, we use it to automatically apply models on top of it so we know if it's an s88 batch system we know that we can automatically apply a standard yield model 
a standard um, uh, cycle time optimization model, a standard process control model on top of it. And by the fact that that standard exists means that the deployment time for an ISA batch system, all the way from collecting the data through to having a working uh, AI model on top of it in a digital twin in the middle, if you will, is, is, is a matter of minutes, literally, to configure all that. So, um, you know, we, we're taking advantage of those standards, but at the same time, they haven't, there isn't a new standard, let's say, that's specific to digital twins or specific to, to applying AI models or machine learning models that uh, has really taken hold like an ISA 95 or an ISA 88 type standard. I see. Okay. So now when it comes to um, building advanced analytics uh, models, so there's the, the, the machine learning best approach, and then there's the uh, first principles best approach. Yeah. Now, as far as uh, digital twins for manufacturing is concerned, could you kind of like compare the two approaches and talk about when one should be used over the other, particularly for manufacturing? Yeah, that's very, uh, that's very great. That's a great question and a very, very direct answer, I think, to it is um, where a relationship is known. You know, let, let's say you, you where you know the formula that is going to calculate something um, and that that would be maybe the simplest definition of a first principle model. Um, uh, you know, if, if you know, if, if you're trying to build a, a, a model around a, 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 a steam boiler, you know, the relationship of, of the energy to steam, you know, using a steam table is an example of a first principle model and, and it's a well-known relationship, you know, that is where you apply a first principle model. Um, it's so, you know, some customers want to apply machine learning or AI to a known relationship. And it's, we don't advise that because, you know, you're, you're asking a machine learning model to learn something that it's already known. So it's more of an academic exercise to maybe prove that the technology works more so than it actually solves a, a real problem. So where the relationships are known, apply first principle models. You apply the AI to where the relationships are not known and to discover what those relationships are and, and discover what the equation is, if you will, that might describe some process that is unknown. That's the best use of, of the AI machine learning models is, is in those cases. Um, and like I said, some some customers like to prove the technology of of applying AI to a known system or a known relationship, just to kind of academically prove that it actually works, and 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 that's interesting, but doesn't solve a business problem by doing that. Um, oh yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now, um, I mean, you are in, in, in the space, right, of uh, uh, building, um, uh, providing a platform for uh, digital twins. So do you uh, perhaps have um, 
any examples or case studies that you could share where um, twin thread or digital twins were applied successfully in manufacturing? Yeah, so uh, uh, twin thread is a first first and foremost a digital twin platform um, and comes with a set of tools where you can build your models and build first principle models as well as AI models on top of that. In addition to that, though, we we offer eight different out-of-the-box applications. These applications are, are fit for purpose to solve specific problems. So I'll give one example, you know, a real-world example here of, of an application of our um, uh, quality, our quality application. And just to make it clear, our quality application isn't meant to be a quality system. Uh, it's it's meant to sit on top of your automation systems and your quality system to be able to optimize uh, quality. And you know, a specific example in uh, one of our customers that makes uh, pet food, we applied this our our quality application to automatically make adjustments to the process in a in a near real time basis to optimize you know four different quality parameters simultaneously and so the way this is sort of wired up if you will is we're collecting data from a quality system we're collecting data from in this case it's a you know wonder wonderware based historian and and uh, SCADA system and uh, we're taking in about a hundred sensor values from across the line. It, the the the, pro, the manufacturing process takes about an hour from its at the, from the beginning to the end. So you you have to deal with the issue of you're making quality sort of at the beginning of that process, but you don't get to measure the quality until an hour later. So you're having to deal with these you know time lags and. Um, it's a very dynamic process, very uh, so that you have to deal with the everything that's happening in between, you know, in terms of building out the model. And then uh, those hundred sensors and, and and data from the quality system come together into a digital twin model of the entire process. And out of that, there's about uh, seven or eight control, what we call controllable. Uh, properties or controllable tags, if you want to call it that, where the models produce recommendations and those recommendations are are wired all the way down into the, the SCADA system to actually manipulate different uh, parameters such as dryer temperatures or in certain ingredient flows are being manipulated by the model in real time. So, um, that's sort of a real world example of applying not only the digital twins, but the AI models in a, in a continuous feedback mechanism. Um, and, you know, this is something that that company has rolled out across all of their, all of their lines, you know, um, and uh, have been very successful in, in, uh, in applying that. And the, uh, the real benefit is, I think it's again very, very basic, and is that 
historically the operator experience level has been, you know, more than a decade. And over the last few years, the operator experience level as, as, as they've hired new, new operators has gone down, you know, a, a lot. It's gone down by like 80%, the amount of operator experience. And by having the AI augment, you know, the new operators, it, it brings a lot of sort of digitized experience into the, into the mix. And, and they not only able to achieve higher quality, but do that with a lot less experience out on the plant floor. And uh, it's been extremely successful. Awesome. That sounds really great. So, I mean, um, digital twins really is a, it's a relatively new way of, 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 of solving problems, right? In particularly in manufacturing. So for those companies that are, who are looking to go down that path, what would you say are the key factors to consider when selecting a digital twin platform or, or vendor and how to kind of like evaluate the capabilities and, 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 and how that fits into their existing systems? Yeah. Um, so we're obviously very biased in this, yeah. uh, in this, uh, uh, in the answer to this. Um, and, uh, our, uh, our sales leader recently put out a white paper about, you know, incomplete digital twin platforms in, incomplete platforms. Um, but as we see the market and the, the choices are, you can start with a, a uh, cloud vendors building blocks, such as Azure or AWS, or to a lesser extent, uh, GCP. And you can build all this stuff from scratch. Um, that's sort of choice number one. Um, <clears throat> choice number two is, is that you, that you, go with a vendor that supplies some piece of the that digital twin picture so you're not using the raw building blocks of of an azure for example you're you're using more like uh you're building from a modular modular house you know yeah. <laughs> building the house from modules um and that's that's sort of another approach um and then the 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 third approach which we're in this category is is to is to work with a complete platform that supplies all of the components that are necessary in that full stack so going back to the second approach you can find uh, platforms that do a very good job of industrial data ops um, um, but they don't do any of the ai or modeling uh, you can find some generic tools that do AI and modeling, but they aren't built for industrial applications. So you have to build that part of it yourself. So um, it really just depends on an organization's um, ability and desire to develop. I mean, this technology is moving extremely fast. So, so it's, it's very much a moving target um, and that may cause you to want to develop everything on your own. Yeah. Uh, the fact that things are moving so quickly without sort of locking into a vendor, uh, or it may put you on the other end of, of the extreme of like 
there's no possible way if you're going to build this stuff yourself that you can keep up. So maybe you, you want to lean more towards a vendor that, that has a, a complete platform. And, and I, I guess the last piece I would add is the complete platform concept doesn't just apply to the, let's say the IT components of the platform, meaning doing industrial data ops and doing uh, the AI piece and doing the enterprise integration piece, you know, those are the big pieces, um, which you could find different vendors to do all diff different parts of that. Um, it also has to do with uh, addressing asset-based use cases versus process-based use cases or handling both. There are, there are many, many choices of vendor platforms that around asset asset performance or asset reliability is a, is a very very crowded space of vendors that have maybe they're integrating all the way from a sensor all the way up to the to the ai um, and have this very vertically integrated solution but they're only doing that one thing they're only doing that one use case and so there's dozens of use cases to address in any given manufacturing company and those companies really need to decide am i going to buy 12 different you know vertically integrated solutions to to address my 12 different use cases or should i rather choose a platform that can handle a broad set of use cases kind of across asset and asset reliability as well as process and process optimization. And so from our perspective, it's it's very much, you know, the latter case where, you know, we, we're promoting the concept of a single complete platform that can address a broad set of use cases without having to build a lot, you know, building blocks, stitch a bunch of different vendors together and without having to do one thing for your assets and a different thing for your your process optimization. Awesome. So maybe let's kind of take this opportunity to um, talk specifically about TwinThread, TwinThread solution, right? Can you give us a, a description of what, what TwinThread is, like for the benefit of those who are not really familiar with the platform, how it solves all the problems that we have kind of been highlighting all along? Yeah, so TwinThread is a... First and foremost, a digital twin platform where, where you build out comprehensive uh, digital models of, of physical assets and, and processes. And just sort of emphasize assets and processes. It's not just assets or or processes. Um, we have a a uh, pretty unique, uh, might call it development environment. It's really the 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 environment that you use to build your digital twins, but also build the models and build the integration. Um, a pretty unique tool there that's that's geared for the data scientists just as much as it's geared for the process engineer, it's geared for uh, even uh, you know operations professionals to be able to, all of those different uh, audiences to be able to build without necessarily having to write a lot of code. I mean, you can write code in our platform if you want, but there's a lot of stuff that can be done in a no-code 
uh, type environment um, to build out those first principle models, to build out the AI AI based models, uh, and to build out your digital twins. And then on top of that, um, we offer eight different applications. I won't list all eight of them just to sort of maybe give a little sense of what those are and, and maybe a little about why we created the applications. Um, so I'll start with the creation. I mean, we saw the need to, to have not just a developer tool to build systems with, but rather some pre-built applications just simply to, to have the time to value so that you know, customers could implement solutions quickly that, you know, really help to fund uh, enterprise level deployments. So no one's going to buy an enterprise level system without having proven the value. So uh, the role of the applications is really to prove the value and, and through that value proof, be able to uh, justify and fund an enterprise deployment. Um, and so a couple of the eight applications, just to mention, one is quality. We already talked about that earlier in the in that autonomous quality or auto quality autopilot case that, uh, that we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, a, another application is our batch optimization, and that gets into the S88 standard batching, batch system optimization to do yield um, process optimization and quality optimization in batch batch operations. Um, another example is our asset reliability application. This, this would be used to, um, for example, take in vibration and other process measures across a wide uh, variety of assets and to be able to do anomaly detection and uh, failure prediction on those on those assets. And uh, so, you know, a pretty broad spectrum of applications that cover process optimization as well as asset asset reliability and optimization. Awesome. Yeah, so um, to conclude, this session, can you tell us more about TwinThread, the company, where you best out of, and all that kind of yeah. information? Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> we're uh, a remote company, but we have, uh, and we're based in uh, Bozeman, Montana. Um, it's, it's not a, uh, a uh, it's not a small Silicon Valley here in Bozeman, Montana, but... <laughs> There are a few companies here, like Snowflake is uh, is based in uh, Bozeman, Montana, oh, as well. Um, um, and we have offices, uh, sort of critical mass, if you will, in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, um, and also in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, so we're spread out, and but I would say mostly a remote team. Um, we. We have an interesting combination of sort of data science, computer science, as well as chemical and process engineering. So uh, our, our team is uh, is is largely engineers, and but spread across a, a lot of disciplines from chemical and electrical engineering all the way through sort of uh, 
data science and 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 computer science. Um, and uh, we're we're really excited to have that that sort of breadth of of engineering talent. It, it enables it enables us to provide a very unique level of support to our customers uh, to have that sort of both engineering and and uh, data science expertise in the company. Um, and uh, you know we're a relatively small company, you know, around 50 people um, and uh, got started in, uh, in in the late part of uh, 2016. And uh, today uh, I've been very fortunate um, to, to have a number of, of uh, Fortune 100, Fortune 200 manufacturing companies that are part of our installed base. Um, and um, in addition, we have uh, partnerships with with uh, both Aviva and GE. Um, they embed our platform as part of their part of their cloud offer. So we're excited to have those partnerships as well, um, and to bring our technology out out to their installed bases. Um, and uh, yeah. That's that's about us. Awesome. So, yeah, Eric, thank you again for taking the time to come out on the show and share your insights with the audience. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. And I really appreciate the invite.